yo, 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 what is going on? This is John Ross Marks Cox here, getting back at you with the Way Too Much JRMC podcast. It is October 20, 2022, and unlike normal, it ain't been two weeks since the last time I talked to you. I talked to y'all yesterday, so I told you I was going to start trying to get more consistent, and I'm uh, falling through on that today. So, yeah, so a uh, couple of all the normal house cleaning items here. Obviously, y'all can find me anywhere on any of the social platforms. Just search way too much. It's W-A-Y, lower, all lowercase, the number two, and then much, all lowercase, M-U-C-H, and then all capital J-R-M-C. So that's way too much J-R-M-C. Search that on you know Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all that good stuff. You can listen to me on any of the audio platforms of your choosing. Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, iHeartRadio, all, all that good stuff. And you can watch me on video uh, here on my on my YouTube channel. And but you can also find me on Rumble as well. So again, thanks for uh, getting back getting back out here with me today and hearing what I got to say. <sighs> got a couple of things to talk about. Um, and in Ross today, we got a whole another round of forums for our school board candidates here in Louisville, Kentucky. So I'm gonna try to get some more uh, recaps of the last one out here before those occur this uh evening in case you all want to have more questions or want to clarify things they might have said last time or whatever um but first let's talk about a couple other things so yes or not t- two days ago the kentucky department of education released the new like test scores for the 2021-2022 school year so it'll be the first ones after the you know going back at this pandemic and boy, are they pathetic. I can't say that they're different, much different than what we're used to seeing, especially here in, here in Louisville. Um, but I bet it's going to look like this across the country. They're preparing everybody across the country for this stuff to look absolutely abysmal. And so the article I'm looking at is from our, w, our local, <coughs> one of our local news channels, WDRB. It says in here, students in Jefferson County Public Schools posted standardized test scores below the Kentucky average in core academic subjects during the 2021-2022 school year, according to new statewide data. In reading and mathematics, for example, more than 6 in 10 JCPS students failed to reach the level deemed proficient by the state. Now listen, that is actually, that's actually um, putting it mildly. Okay, at each level elementary, middle, and high school, the percentage of students who reached proficiency in reading and math ranged from a low of 25% to a high of 37%. So always pay attention to how, how news sites or even people, you know, myself included, how, how people word things because you can always sometimes, you can always sometimes, you can't say it like that, can you? You can normally tell somebody's, you know, which way their argument's bent based on how they frame things. And in some of those categories, either elementary, middle, and high school, it wasn't just more than 6 and 10. It was closer to only 2 and 10. Could either read or do math at grade level. The high was 3.7 kids out of 10. That is pathetic, but it backs up what we've been saying all along, and it backs up our argument that all this extra stuff that we are talking about from fluid genders to um, having aviation programs in our schools, 
our kids can't read and they can't write and they can't do math. Like, don't think we're going to be pumping out the next, uh, you know, the next great pilot, next great uh, fighter pilot or um, Elon Musk if we cannot even read the manual on how to operate the plane we want to fly. So we'll get into that here in a little more anyways. <clears throat> the other thing I want to bring up today was, this was shocking to me, because over the, over the course of the past you know, 10 months, I've kind of gotten to know a lot of the political candidates and incumbents and all that. Well, District 31 here in Louisville, um, they just redrew the districts here in, here in Kentucky. And I want to preface this with this. I started going to Frankfurt toward like the middle of January this year when the Republican legislature had just redrawn the district maps or whatever for the for the upcoming primaries and the November elections. Now, I want to say this. Like, it was obvious that the process was sketch. Okay, I'm sure the Democrats do it too. And I'm not one of these people that thinks gerrymandering is bad, you know, all that, all that stuff. I don't, I don't know the historical context around it enough. But I do know that nobody in the building down there was forthright about the information, like what when the maps were coming out, if you were going to get the, if they were going to give people an extended amount of time to file. Like it was like it was almost like they had people in their head they wanted to run, or they wanted to be the candidate or whatever, and they were going to be drawing people out, which happened in one Senate district here, where the only challenger was drawn out of the district and was the only challenger in the, in the previous election too, primary. Um, so the process in general, I think, is uh, needs to be more transparent. I don't have a problem with it occurring, just the fact that it's, it, that it's not very transparent. That's what I don't like about it. So there's that. Then the, the, there's the fact that you can go down there and they'll take your money and your paperwork. For, they'll take money and paperwork from anybody. <clears throat> what, I'm, what I mean by that is they don't verify that you're even eligible on a basic level when you walk in the door. Some might say, well, it's on the person to make sure that, yeah, whatever. But it's like, listen, normal people don't have like attorneys that they could hire to go through and make sure that their property line isn't like overreaching into a different district or they live in their house, but their garage is in a different district. I'm not saying that's what happened in this case, but like theoretically, they'll take your money. And in some cases, in the other Senate district, and I'm saying this happened, they took the money and with a simple address search would have known that they weren't in the district. Okay, in this in the situation here, so this her, her name is Susan Tyler Witten. I've seen her on the campaign trail for months. Her husband's Dwight Witten, Dwight Witten, who's on a local radio affiliate here in here in town and has his own radio show and has done some good work on you know getting some candidates interviewed and calling people. You know, I don't say calling people out; he's not combative, but just you know asking tough questions and giving people a, a, an opportunity to speak. But I've seen him at community events fairs and uh fourth of july celebrations and pool parties and country cross country meets and you know just all over the place walking around knocking on doors everything 
Well, one of the things that was so not transparent about the process back in January was just like when things had to occur, when things were official, like even if you knew the information, like at what minute, at what hour, what day was it, were the lines official? I mean, it was just very like, it was just very, a lot of it was just very ridiculous. And, you know, I want people to know it's not just Republicans doing shady stuff to Democrats. They did it to their own, with, from within their own party. You know, the, the district of one of my close friends, Lindsay Titchener, out here in Oldham County, her opponent that had lost the previous election for Senate to a Democrat, they specifically drew the district for him to win it. That's why they were so upset that Lindsay won. So, but this activist judge here in Louisville is, you know, heard a challenge from the Democrat opponent who supposedly isn't even campaigning. I mean, she hasn't done anything because her district is deep red, I guess. Um, state, you know, she was challenging the validity of her, of the address of the, of the, of the two signatures she had to get in her cell, in her own signature. And she's thrown her off the ballot and disqualified her for the, this election. And she's, it's because her paperwork was filed on, I think it was January 19th, and her address did not become part of the new district until January 20th. Now, again, I'm not saying that every, <coughs> that a candidate shouldn't, you know, isn't responsible for doing their own homework. Okay, so it's like, I'm not, this is more holding everyone accountable here. You know, but one reason, I'm, one thing I'm going to back her up on is I can tell you right now, she first of all isn't, wasn't an establishment candidate. So it ain't like they were like dying for her to run. But secondly, it was such a hectic time that no nobody outside of that building and probably outside the Speaker of the House and the President of the Senate and a couple others really knew what was going on. I was in there talking with house reps, and they're like, "Oh yeah, this date and that date." I'm like, I'm like well, "Y'all both saying different different things." So I mean, like, the filing deadline was the 25th. So what was she supposed to do? So they're saying that they literally gave can only gave candidates five days from the time they find out they're in, that they're in a district to decide they're going to run. Because I mean, going from one district to another could totally change how you even feel about running. So it's it's messed up. She's worked hard. People got to like people should be up up in arms over the process. Should be I mean she's going to appeal it. She absolutely should. You know, but it's like again, the the Republican Party, the conservative right has got to stop playing by the rules. In Pennsylvania, they literally counted every single vote even and like they're still doing it, even though the Supreme Court just said you can't count votes that aren't dated, that they don't have valid dates on them when they're absentee ballots. They're still doing it. A Republican Secretary of State, Michael Adams, who's a crybaby. I don't even know him. He just, I don't know. You try to not judge a book by his cover, but my dude is just like, I don't know. He just don't, he just, he just ain't got it. Like when I think of like who I want representing me, I just, he just ain't it. But it's like he's going to abide by what this judge is saying. It's like, why didn't she rule on it three months ago? Why'd she wait till now? Two weeks before an election. 
There's no way that appeal gets heard. So everybody figure out what you can do, how you can help, how you can aid the efforts, how you can cause a stink and do it. So yeah, so now we're going to get into this uh, District 1, Louisville District 1 School Board candidate forum. The candidate that I support in this, her name is Charlie Bell. Um, she's not asking me to do this, and a lot of these candidates may be mad that I'm doing this. So don't think that they they endorse anything I'm saying. Don't think they've asked me to do this. Don't think the, the groups that are supporting them have asked me to do this. They have not. This is me doing it on my own without asking for permission, because I'll be honest, I'm not really, I don't really care about permission from anybody. So this occurred back on October, I mean, on August 3rd, 2022. So we were still, they were still under a mask mandate because we were in the red, the red COVID category. So, but I'm keenly in, you know, was keenly interested in listening to this debate. I didn't even realize that it happened or I would have done this a month ago. <clears throat> I'm interested in this one because it's a perf, it'll be, a, it was a perfect opportunity for me to test and see if like my, some of my hypotheses about similarities between the black community and, you know, like the, you know, my, you know, low class Appalachian, you know, what you most people would consider like a white, you know, culture, even though, like I said, my best friend, all, all my best friends growing up were black. So it's like, well, I feel like I can talk about some of this stuff. Obviously not trying to appropriate culture or act like I know everything, but I'm, God, I do know I feel like I have some inside baseball here. But I was interested in hearing what, what um the candidates had to say, um, and see if you know, if I could uh make sense of it or maybe shine some light on some things and yeah, to see what to see what could happen there. Um I do want to say this. I posted my the last debate recap that between Misty Glenn and Corey Scholl, and Dr. Scholl actually commented on my one of my shares on social media and said like hey i've listened to the podcast you know reach out to me i'd like to let like to go to coffee with you and take you on a tour of, inside some of our schools to see so you can see what's really going on in here and you know i'm gonna take him i've already i've already messaged him gave him my cell phone number told him hey listen i'm taking you up on it i'll literally can make any day work most of the time from during the work day nine to five so look forward to it I think that's what it's going to take is people getting in the trenches together without spotlight, without cameras, without the newspapers and everybody wanting to like document everything and get credit for all this stuff. It's going to take people getting in the trenches and arguing a little bit and considering, reconsidering their points of view, strengthening their arguments, talking about it again, yada, yada. It's what it's going to take. And so I was very appreciative of that, respect him for, for that. As time will tell if he's just showing lip service and wanting to make it appear on social media that he's, open-minded or if he's actually you know if he's actually about that life or not so yeah so this uh again this is district one forum the incumbent in this air in this district is diane porter who's also the vice chair um of the Jefferson county public schools school board um again it was a it's a predominantly african-american might you know your minority district um I'll say this, I've been saying all along, the district, the culture, the, you know, just like the socioeconomic back, you know, uh, background or break, or breakdown, um, what I see is like the, you know, the belief system, the fact there's a lot of single moms, very, like, a, it's a very religious area of town, 
it's very similar to like where I grew up in Appalachia. I feel like I fit in better in the West End here in Louisville than I do anywhere else because the West End and Appalachia are almost synonymous with each other. I know, I know I've never been there and felt scared. I've never been there and felt nervous. I've never, you know, like, it feels like what I feel like everything east of the vi- of Interstate 75 in Kentucky feels like. So, great, you know, great people, God-fearing people, people that even ones I disagree with, I know mean well. Um, you know, I don't conflate these, uh, this panel of four African-American women running for school board. I don't equate any of them with, like, the mainstream left or crazy left lunatics the rich white elite liberals i don't equate them with that okay i don't want anybody thinking that but true to this channel's my the way too much jmc mission which is like putting putting myself in vulnerable positions and being transparent and honest and being willing to just obviously think through things before i say it but but being willing to say things that maybe i you know i'm as educated as i can be on it but i can't be more educated until somebody tells me I'm wrong. So this this is a district and some topics that will come up that like, you know, I'm probably running the risk of sounding, you know, like I realize I may sound either stupid or um, uneducated on or ignorant on like the just things that go on, you know, that have, that go on in the district or that are, that are specific to the district. And, I, and I'm okay with that. If somebody isn't willing to, come you know, do that and be honest about it and be open to it and be open to criticism we're never gonna things are never gonna get better so let's hop into this so first thing they started out was you know why why they're running candidates for charlie bell um and elderly lady named carol clark the current vice chair diane porter and another lady i'm, I'm sorry if i get your name wrong miss brewster but it's a, a humble brewster okay charlie and a humble are both probably my age i'd say mid-30s 40 or something like that and then miss clark and miss porter both um miss clark is a you know been as a master barber just graduated from the master's in education her catchphrase is teachers are the foundation of our future teacher teachers teachers and then uh diane porter was grew up in jcps elementary schools went to went to louisville mail here in school here in louisville and then uh taught there as well but they both were products of segregation and were in JCPS schools when they were segregated. And so we're talking about two, I mean, four candidates, but two drastically different life experiences and points of view. And so I thought it was fascinating. Um, as I said, Charlie Bell is the one that I, you know, that I am in support of and, and know fairly well. Um, she said she's running because kids are literally dying at the bus stop. We had a kid get shot at the bus stop here last year. I think he was like a 13-year-old boy. Terrible. And she's said she's running because JCPS literacy rates are abysmal. She's been a principal in Akron at a charter school, implemented some truancy programs that are still being ran in Ohio, and is like a uh, program director at Goodwill, community outreach, and all, you know, some other things like that in the community. Miss um, Porter was a teacher, administrator, all that in JCPS schools. And then Amala Brewster... She said she was running, and she said some key words here that I thought were interesting. She uh, mentioned vaccines, pharmaceutical drugs, TV programming, you know, mask mandates, terrible nutrition, all that stuff as points of interest for her and why she's running. And she said her main focus is she wants to get back to basics. 
so again after the after the um intros there was no there were no um candidates for I was like okay that's a crazy person like in another one that I'll be that I'll be talking about if not later today um hopefully tomorrow that's out it's surprise surprise the one with the crazy people is out here in what would be you know traditionally considered like the rich white part of town because the rich white women are the ones that are they're lunatics when it comes to a lot of stuff <clears throat> so first thing they got they got asked about what's their thoughts on new, on the new assignment plan new student assignment plan just to make everyone clear here and i've all y'all that aren't from Louisville, Kentucky, they're listening right now. If you're in other state, or if you're in other parts of other parts of the state, or if you're in other states, other countries, whatever, Louisville, Kentucky is the only school district left in the United States of America still operating under the same busing system that was implemented in 1976 to desegregate schools. 1976, they started busing kids from like our our West End, like our minority. Our top area of our city, out to the east end, and vice versa to, to integrate schools. So, I don't think any of us would retrospectively say that was a bad thing. In fact, I'm very, very happy that our schools are integrated, and think our country would be in a very bad place if that had not occurred, right? But they haven't adjusted this that at all since 1976. So, the new student assignment plan is going to give you know kids an option of having a school they can go to under the old busing system and then a school they go to in their community. In a, you know, in a sense, they're, they're calling it school choice. Let's not buy into that because they're, they're tr- what they're, what they're setting the stages, setting the stage for it. So they can, when they start, when we start wanting to get real school choice in the state legislature, they can be saying, well, we just did school choice. Kid parents have school choice. They can go to the school. We're not talking about, I'm not public. When I say school choice, I don't mean within the public schools. Okay, Ms. Clark started out. She said it, uh, she thinks the student assignment plan is a continuation of, dis- of discrimination. She said if all students at JCPS were white, we wouldn't have a student assignment plan. She said we currently have to pry teachers to come to the West End. My thoughts to that were, why do you have to prom? They work. They work for you if you're on the school board. Make them go, or they quit. <laughs> you know, they y'all. Were, we were saying that about Kyrie Irving in the NBA. You get a vaccine or you quit. We just want to do it to him. Okay, teachers, you, you don't want to teach. If you don't want to teach the kids that need teaching the most, shame on you and quit. Okay, I, I mean, I, the, it's a continuation of discrimination. Of discrimination. I feel like, to me, I feel like it's sad that an early African-American woman would... And listen, I'm, sometimes I'm going to say African-American, sometimes I'm going to say black. I don't mean, I, I don't, again, I try to be sensitive to this. I don't know the correct thing to say. I just know that saying African-American for me takes a lot of like, uh, I think I burn extra calories every time I start to say that because it just doesn't roll off my country, my fast Appalachian accent. It didn't roll off the tongue very easily. So, you know, I feel like it just, uh, Sad to me that a you know an elderly African American woman sees it as the discrim- discriminatory practice to give black kids the the option to go to school in their black community or or to or to go where they would have went anyways. To me, that's just you know that's sad. Diane Porter says that District One has rolled back into segregation. This is supposed to open the door for choices. 
more choices for students to have. So, amen, I'm all for more students having more choices and parents having more choices. I'm all for that. So she's, the, she's on the board. She's one of the people that um, is trying to implement this. I do feel like that this board has never... Um, has never got out in front of things and tried to get tried to move the needle forward on opening up and having an open mind towards parents and students choosing to go to different places so I, I I'm, I'm hesitant to think they that this they're real in this on, in this situation <clears throat> but I will tell you this as a white kid that grew up said my be, my best friends were, were we're two black guys, still great friends today. Um, I grew up listening to, you know, I grew up in the 90s when hip-hop was exploding on the scene and can remember my mom trying to take away my first, the first CD she found of me with explicit content on it. I remember throwing out the window on tenor to go get it, right? So, like, it's like, so, um, as someone with that experience and as someone who, it kind of prides my. I kind of pride myself on my ability to be a chameleon and get along with just about anybody. And the diversity of my my up my up my upbringing, my life experiences. Everyone should know if you live out outside of Louisville. Louisville is very segregated. It's. I mean, to me, it's weird. You know, like I'm lucky in my you know, my neighborhood where I live in Louisville. It's, I live in like one of the like one of those neighborhoods where three three twenty seventy five percent of the house is vinyl and twenty five percent is brick, and we're crammed in like our one neighborhood's crammed in the middle of like half million dollar seven hundred thousand dollar houses in Norton Commons and it's zone called Rock Springs around the Oldham County Kentucky line. So my neighborhood's very diverse, and I we're my, I'm pretty sure we're the minority as the, as white people in it. There's a lot, lot of Indians, a lot of African Americans in it. But Louisville is very, very, very segregated. And it's odd until it's like, I know I can't really understand it because it's obviously like historical in nature. I don't want to say the word systemic combined to that, but like there's black areas of town and there's historically like what people consider white areas of town, East End. All right, so it is what it is. Right, so I don't necessarily know that they're wrong there, that there were District 1 is rolled back into segregation. You know, I don't know all the causes of it. Um, the Brewster lady, she was for the assignment plan, and she had some good points. You know, it eliminates extra costs for busing. We're busing kids all over the place in Jefferson County. It's crazy. And it eliminates, it eliminates the restraints for parents you know, trying to go to work. Eliminates, you know, the... She, she puts unity back in, into community. She said... This, I thought this was interesting. She said, I feel like black people are the only people that look at things as discriminatory aspects. I don't feel like we're being segregated. I see it as a good thing, putting uh, putting us back into communities. And she said, all these are factors needed to get back to basics. She's basically saying, you, we, need, we need the people of the community to be in the community. We need people to go to work. We need to save some money on the busing and put it back into the community. And... We need to stop looking at things from a discriminatory lens. I do feel like as we went through this thing, it did become, it was 
clearer and clearer to me that there was a distinct divide. There was four candidates, but two of them are from another day and age, another another day and time. They remember segregation. They remember Jim Crow. They remember, you know, I'm assuming not being able to drink at the same water fountain as like the white kids. I don't know if, you know, I don't know. Again, I wasn't born back then, and I'm ignorant to a lot of this stuff. But it's obvious that they, they still, that Miss Porter and Mrs. Clark are still, and roughly so, like still shaped by that by those experiences. And it still shapes the way they think and the ideas they have and all that. Whereas you, Charlie Bell and Mrs. Brewster, even though going on down, like me, like there's good things that, that Hamla, I think, I think it's a Hamla Brewster, that she, there's things she said that I disagreed with, but it was obvious. It was, I mean, it was just blatantly obvious that there was a philosophical difference between like a, between like the younger african-american women on the pan on the on the uh in the forum and the older elderly african-american women on the panel i'm not saying it's bad or good i'm saying it was an observation i had and i'd be interested to know how other people feel about that that watched it you know then uh your candidate support joe charlie bell said her kids go to schools in opposite parts of town so she's a product of the and like sees the problems of the busing the opposite ends of town and like you know much better than other people do Sorry to mute it. My kids have gone from school. They were acting crazy. So she said that it's a step in the right direction, but the real problem is schools are not, are not equal. She said whether a school is in the East End or the West End, there needs to be equality so parents don't feel that they need to send their kids to the East End to get a quality education. Amen, Charlie. Thank you for saying that. Same curriculum, same fundamentals, same classes. And if you might watch my last show, the same daggone internet. Like, we don't live in 1995. They should, like, we can get internet to the West End schools the same way we can get internet to the East End schools. There's no big mountain dividing them. Or not, there's not a bunch of tree cover. You know, it's not a storm and direct TV where the, where the internet goes out when it's raining. Okay? We don't live, that's not where we, where we live anymore. Sorry. Had to mute again because of my kids. And to tell them something. So, I mean, that was a great, a great point there. And I think that, uh, you know, it was uh, needed to be said. And it's something that you know you won't hear in other candidate forms. I don't think because they're in, you know, it's in different areas of town and they're not aware of the all the same issues that are going on down in the West End. But you know, I, I'm if you watch my last show, you know, like. I don't, I don't, I'm not necessarily comfortable with the fact that we have like aviation programs in some of these, some of our schools in Jefferson County. Whenever I've been talking about this all along, like whenever 19%, let's see what it is. So 19% of the, of the kids in district one right now, cause it's predominantly African-American are doing math at grade level. Okay. 29% of them are reading it, are, are reading at grade level. But we have aviation programs. That's that's absolutely ludicrous. Next question was, what ideas from teachers have you heard to improve retention and which ones would you implement? 
Foster said, we have never done good X interviews. We need to do a better job doing that. And we'll talk about those in another uh, recap I'll do of the, of the I think it was District 3's um, forum later on. But she says, we need to hear the teacher voice. Make sure the resources in District 1 are beyond equal to the other districts. My state, my, my response to her about the exit interviews, exit interviews is you're, you've been on the board for how long and you haven't, you're not doing those exit interviews? Like, whose fault is that? It ain't mine. It ain't definitely ain't Charlie Bell's. I didn't humble Brewster's or Carol Clark's. It's yours. You know, she talks about wanting the, the funding, the resources going to district one to be more than equal to other districts. I'm not saying I'm comfortable with the resources being unequal. What I'm saying is I respect her for fighting as much as she possibly can for the students in her district. That's what, again, it's how it's supposed to work. She's not, she's not the advocate for every kid in Jefferson County. She's the advocate for District 1, District 1's children. Brewster, this was funny. Brewster said, teachers, I told you she said, I spoke to several teachers, and they were all saying behavior is why they're leaving. You know, you know that I've, I've done a podcast on this, that teachers are telling the unions we're leaving because of progressive politics and student discipline. She says, but I thought, I, I thought to think differently. So I asked them and they told me, but I didn't want to listen. So I'm going to give you a different answer. She said, we need to hold a state of emergency conference so we can ask teachers and they can tell us, you know, what, why they're leaving. So basically, I talked to teachers and they told me, but I didn't like what they told me. So what I'd, re- what I'd really like to do is hold a, con- hold, a, hold a special news conference and let them tell me what they've already told me again so that I can not listen to them then either. Yeah. <clears throat> she did say it 19 minutes and 45 seconds in the debate. She said, teachers also got to realize it's a public service. I'm on board with you there. And it's again, it's one reason I know I would like the people in District 1 because this is how black people are in general. They're going to tell you the truth. They're going to tell you what needs to be said. They don't care. They do not care if you're mad at them. It's refreshing. Teachers need to realize you're not, if you're going into teaching for the money and the glory and the fame, do something else. If you're trying to go be a police and trying to be police because of the power and the fame and the money, do something else. We'll talk about teacher pay later on this later on this you know recap, but like that I'm glad she said that. I respect her for saying that. Teachers gotta realize you're doing a public service. This ain't about you. Charlie brought up uh she brought she discussed this co teacher program. That she had, uh, that she had implemented, or that, or that she was a part of in Ohio, and that how how it had worked very well. They had two teachers in every K through four classroom, and it reduced, reduced teacher teacher workload and all that stuff. And that here's the deal: that sounds awesome. I ain't saying I. I mean, I've talked about the administrative bloat and how we're paying less than one percent of the teachers that are making over hundred. Or the, sorry, of the people in Jefferson County public schools that are making over hundred grand are actually teachers. Less than one percent of them. I'm cool with hiring more teachers. 
here's the only issue. We are, supposedly we already have a shortage. So I don't know that like hiring more and trying to have two teachers when we ain't got one in each classroom is doable now. But I, I again, I'm on board with the, with the, with the subject with the topic. You know, I can get behind it. But just want to point that out. Try to be fair here. Carol Clark said we need to support our teachers mentally, physically, emotionally, financially. Use the word feelings a bunch of times as well is what I wrote down. We're supposed to support teachers mentally, physically, emotionally, and financially. You can. I ain't got all I ain't got all I have to give them. The government don't have doesn't have emotions to give. The government itself doesn't have empathy. It's not a it's it's not a thing. It's just it, it is. It's a it's a collection of thousands and millions of people. I don't know how they're supposed to support them emotionally. Support them financially. You know, physically, I mean, what's the school supposed to do? People can go work out. Going to the gym ain't, ain't easy for nobody. Having a six-pack ain't easy for nobody. I work out a lot, and I ain't got a six-pack. Every single mom on the planet wants to go to the gym. Very few of them go. So, well, I mean, do you want to put a stationary bike in all the classrooms? I mean, I don't know. You know, it's like, again, she's saying a lot of stuff that sounds great, but it doesn't work out. It doesn't play out into the, into the, into the workplace. So I got my notes on here. Um, this is, I got Carol obviously believes teachers are not valued. A couple things. I'm going to try to say this as sensitive as possible. Teachers in Jefferson County specifically make about 35 to 40% more than their rural state counterparts that have the same education and for the most part have the same cost of living. Groceries are the same or more. Gas is the same. Vehicles are the same. Insurance is the same. Well, maybe not. Actually, I'll take that back. In District 1, probably not. And that's a, that's a topic of another of another podcast because um, Republicans will hate how I feel about, about insurance as a 16-year insurance agent um, that recently got out of the game. But they're making a rank one teacher here will make you know eight, between eighty five and ninety three thousand dollars. My mom, like I said in the last episode, makes like she retired at sixty two thousand dollars with a rank one. And this was like five years ago. So teachers by themselves and a single teacher makes more than the median American household. People are teachers are will flock to Jefferson. Yes, there are some that leave Jefferson County every year. But I know people from all the adjacent counties that come to Jefferson County to teach here because of how much they pay. But also, it's also you know, it's, let's just keep trying to have some hard, some hard conversations here. My mom's a teacher, and I'm told, and you can ask, call my mom right now and ask her. She'll tell you, yep, he said some stuff like that to me before, and she has never, she didn't really push back on it much. But we spent 30 years valuing, valuing teachers. And it seems like no matter no matter how much we appreciate them, tell them how much we appreciate them, give them, you know, talk about raises, talk about resources. All like, you know, there's no amount of thank yous 
that stop that ends the pity party. That it just continues on. And I got friends that are teachers up here, and I know ones that are great. I ain't talking about y'all. I'm sorry. I, I, I'm not trying to like like punch down here. But there's that segment of the teacher population, the loud ones, that I don't. I think we could pay them two hundred thousand dollars a year, and they'd still would be saying that we don't. They're not valued. She said she wants to offer an incentive to teachers for loan for teachers for loan forgiveness for if they go into teaching at JCPS. Like, don't we already do that? I mean, I think teachers get like public service loan forgiveness. I'm almost positive we pay for like all their graduate degrees if they're educated if they're like employed with us like along the way. I don't think that loan that student loans are an issue with teachers the way it is with everyone else. Moving on. God, take too many notes, people. Okay, next question. They discussed the JCA, the Jefferson County Teacher Association mass survey, which stated over 50% of teachers did not want a mask mandate. Remember, we were under a mask. Uh, they were requiring mask at the time of this this uh, forum. Brewster stated that JCPS already has a waiver form and therefore already has choice. She stated that she asked the JCPS principal, this was, this was, I got like LOL at her. She asked the JCPS principal how they would regulate the waiver forms and the principal told her she had no idea about it. And this school board candidate Rooster took somehow equated that to mean that that was proof there there already is a choice to mask or not because there's a waiver out there and the principal didn't know how it was going to be regulated that that meant that it was automatically going to go in the favor of whoever submitted the waiver. Well, let me tell you something, Ms. Brewster. It is not. They have they have unilaterally declined many many mask waivers because they're only for like medical reasons. There's no like. They're not easy to do. They have, they have, outright declined all from cert from like certain um, medical providers. They wanted to do, only be a med, only a med uh, or a MD. You know, they're all about they're all about you're, you're about the wholesome wholesome medicine, right? Like herbal, like the natural medicine. They would not honor a mask waiver from any of your natural medicine type people. Don't listen to everything they're telling you. Then she also said she's the same with masks as she has abortion rights and that ultimately individuals should choose. Now again, like it would be easy for me to stop and say, and like use that as a point to like, yep, see, she agrees. I want to drive home. It's not just important to me that people understand my point of view and agree with it. It's important why, how they get to that point. She's basically saying, if I want to wear a mask, I do. If I don't, I don't. She's saying that's the same as if I get pregnant and I want to murder the baby inside of my stomach, then I do. If I don't want it, then I, or if I do want it, I keep it. Not the same. It's ridiculous. Charlie outright says, I'm not for masking. It's that simple because it didn't work. And this is, this is why Charlie Bell is so good because she'll just tell you how it is. She says, I'm more worried about our babies having the proper nutrition to fight off the viruses that are coming towards us. If you feel more comfortable in a mask, wear a mask. If you don't, then don't. Exactly. Vote for Charlie Bell. 
Mrs. Clark says, I am for the mask mandate. I think if you value your life, then you would take precautions to take care of it. Well, sweetheart. Oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said sweetheart. I'm not meaning to be demeaning. Like, ma'am, our country's obesity rate, the, the, the diabetes crisis, the opioid epidemic, all those things prove otherwise. Like, you would think if you valued your life that you would do things to extend it. But humans, we don't do that. She says, especially when we, when we are in the red zone. This is totally subjective. And if there was someone in there from the conservative persuasion that was defining red zone as something below a threshold that you agreed with, then you wouldn't, be, then you wouldn't want to support the red zone. She says, we shut the people's best interest at heart and wear a mask. Then you should want choice as well so you can know who has the people's best interest at heart and who doesn't. So you can know who, 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 who to interact with and who, does, and who not to. It's one of my arguments for uh, First Amendment and for free speech. I want people to say, be able to say racist stuff so I can know, who, so I can know they're racist and ostracize them. And community police that rhetoric by literally shunning them from society. By making certain things illegal, we give them cover to be able to tell the people in the shadows, yeah, I, I, do, I do feel that. I do feel the same way as you. I don't like them either, but I can't say it because it's illegal. So we got to tell them we like them so they'll buy stuff from us. That's what currently happens. I'd rather it be on. I'd rather. I'd rather put everybody on blast. Porter says. <clears throat> Porter said, uh, "Does it make a difference? Yes, it does." Talking about mask. No matter how many times you say that, Miss Porter, it will not be true. Or at best, no matter how many times you say that, there will there will be there is valid scientific data to contradict what you're saying there may be valid scientific data or, or analysis that says they are but it's not cut and dry like you're making it sound like she said when we talk about vaccinations there's a low rate of vaccination in district one <clears throat> so what are you saying when you acknowledge that i'll tell you what you're saying you're saying your constituents are stupid don't want to listen to the science. And if they won't be smart enough to get vaccinated, they're going to listen to what you have to say and they're going to have to, I'm going to make you wear a mask if you're too dumb to get a shot. Let's flip that around. Instead, instead of you trying to be like a, the steward of teachers and administrators, how about you listen to your constituents? Because this is one thing I'm very, I'm very passionate about and this is where, this is one of those crossover things between like the black, black community and the Appalachian community. We're, we're the most vaccine-hesitant bunch in, in the United States. And you could say it's conspiratorial or whatever you want, but as a people, as an area, as, a, as cultures, they're the cultures that have been taken advantage of by the powers that be, the government. And so they're very slow to like, trust them. And I think it's, I think it's valid. 
It's also all those interesting. She said that whenever the CDC voted yesterday, fifteen to zero, to add these, to add the child vac, uh, COVID vaccines to the normal child vaccine schedule, fifteen to zero. They had there was no pushback from this panel, even though there is data after data, study after study, showing like the, an increase in myocarditis and all that stuff which in children, little boys, like. The medical profession is supposed to do no harm. That, the first thing it's supposed to do is do no harm. In Kentucky, we are still in like, if we're out of the teens, then I would say that we need, they, they need to have done a big news segment on it. But it's like, we're in the low teens. Or when I, Last time I checked, we were like 11 or 12 kids that had died with COVID in this entire state this entire two, two and a half years or two years now. Two and a half years now. It's like 12 with it not from it with it we do we should not be making kids to benefit old people yes y'all were old y'all are old i'm getting old poor states she stated again the mask stop germs to be honest and when you are in a classroom hungry and playing the goal is to keep everyone healthy starting with the students which can't get COVID anyway, which have no, have no risk from it anyways. Starting with the teachers, you can't start with two people. Which one you will start with, the kids or the teachers? Which one? Seems to me like it's all teachers. Teachers, 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 teachers. I think the teachers have enough, they have enough people advocating for them. The teachers union, is those unions are the most powerful groups in the United States of America. They don't need you. Your children and your parental constituents need you. And when students go home, we don't want them to take anything home. Let the people at home worry about that. They know the risk. Now, I bet those individual African-American grandmothers would not choose for their children to be, for their education to be, to be diminished and slowed down because they're afraid of them getting sick at home. I would especially think that coming from the misported that live segregation. Our country was give was not giving African Americans of equal an equal education. It's it's that it's disturbing and it's disgusting that it was within the last like within the last hundred years this stuff was going on. It's frightening. You know how we all need to re- recognize how like like how not far removed we are from this stuff. She discussed the waiver, but didn't bring up the fact that they are selectively approving and sometimes blankly declining them. You know, next question was current board currently has no student representation. How would you change that? Charlie said she'd like to you know, start having town halls and let you know kids have you know, representation and talk and ask them questions and stuff. I, I'm fine with that. Brewster wants to actually project, you know, project student voices on local radio stations and you know discussed you know wanting to have like a radio show or something where they have middle school and high school students you know talk to the entire community not just the school board um, that's fine porter was okay with the idea of students on board but said it hasn't been discussed in a while and i actually can respect her for that that the fact she hasn't talked about it and that she hasn't allowed that to occur but then you have uh mrs Carol, who, uh, what better says, what better way to find out the needs of the students? If we know what they need, what they want, 
how they feel. She continues. She always says feel. I know she means well. Then we are making a path towards progress. I totally disagree. Now I'm a parent of four. I'm a coach of your young elementary school young boys. I also grew up in, you know, historically what I, what would you know, what would be considered poverty, but poverty in the '90s what didn't manifest the same way. You know, it was like first time poor people could get credit cards and cash uh, advanced loans and you know so it's like everybody had a Sega you know what I mean so but I it's like I grew up in a poor area very low very low income family two a three generation household stepfather didn't have a high school diploma you know came into my life when I was 10 my biological father didn't have a high school diploma died of a drug arrest when I was 10 never on the same roof as him you know, run the streets, you know, like I said, with the couple with the the black kids in my area. You know, they're not just black kids. I'm not trying to say that. I'm not trying to be one of those white guys. It's like, well, I'm not I'm racist because I had I had I had a black friend. I'm not trying to be like that. <clears throat> but please, I've lived it. Okay. All I wanted in life was direction. I wanted someone to walk into my life and say, John Ross Marcus Cox, here's what I need from you. If you do this, good things will happen. I wanted that so bad. And I was in the front end of this whole like feels feely good time where we wanted to act like kids could tell us things. And I didn't really get a whole lot of that direction. Now as a coach, everything that I focus on, attitude, effort, focus on little things, like I call it effort, I say hustle. But like those values of doing things regardless of how they increase your stature and your standing because they they, they matter to your community, they matter to your team. Um, it's all stuff that ain't easy to digest as a kid. And it ain't, it's not easy for moms that bring their kids up there, and you know, everybody wants their kid to run the ball and score touchdowns. Only one person really that can get to, is getting to do that on any given play. Actually, only one person is you know on any given play. But if you trust the process and you let these kids find a niche and you tell them like, "Hey, listen, here's where you can help. I need you to play. I need you to play right end. Yeah, I need you to play center. I need you to play defensive tackle. You ain't you're not quite fast enough to play running back." You don't, you're, you're a first-year kid. You don't quite have the football IQ yet to be a quarterback. You're, you're, you're probably going to be in a couple years. But right now, you're not. You're a young guy, so you're, you're too small. You're not, you're not going to be a quarterback or in the backfield or be able to play corner or linebacker, but you can play center. Like, give a kid an opportunity and direction and let them find their own way and let them matter. And it's crazy what comes from that. Whenever the opposite comes from, you tell kids like, "Tell me what you want. How do you feel? Oh, oh, oh! Today you think you're a, oh, today you think you're a woman. Oh my gosh, that must be terrible. Well, I don't want you to feel bad, so we're going to call you a woman as long as you want to be called a woman, and you can even use the relate to the girls' bathroom. That is stupid, and you may feel better about yourself, but you are not doing that child a, a service. 
You were not doing my little poor little country redneck General Smart's Cox self. You're not doing me any justice. My black buddies that were good, that that certainly had harsher realities to live with than I did. You do if you'd have done that with them, you would have not have been doing them a service. So I'm just I'm, I ain't on board with this whole like listen to kids stuff. And I, I see I see everybody I see every district falling falling into this trap. Kids are dumb. And me being mean, this is what it is. You can't know what you don't know. It's our job to teach them. It's our job to steward them. One day they'll need to be the leader. They'll need to lead. We need to give them the information, the experiences, the know-how, so that when, it, when that time comes, they can do it. So in a sense, we need more than two out of ten black kids that can do math at grade level, and we need more than more than three and a half out of ten Hispanic kids that can read at grade level. And we need more than, honestly, more than, 60, more than six out of ten watts. We need more than that to be able to read, and more than five out of ten watts that can do math, do math at grade level. We, I, these numbers are bad across the board. I'm talking about African Americans because it's, we're talking about the district that's predominantly African American here in, here in Louisville. So I'm going to skip on a little bit just for time constraints here. Let's talk about SROs, school resource officers. Someone in the crowd said, her name is Jackie Floyd, said, I want to know from the candidates how they would meet the policy of the state, how they feel about it, but also how they would keep the SROs from making kids feel threatened and address the fact that black boys are suspended at higher rates. Charlie says, SROs are needed. And the me and her have had this conversation before. This was at 44 minutes when she said this. We talked about this, her and I have. And I'm specific with the white community and the people out here in the East End from the upper you know, echelon society. I've been specific with them on this as well. When I'm talking about SROs, I'm not talking about SWAT officers, hungry cops that want stats. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about hiring a specific type of officer they can wear a polo and khakis. Yeah, they gotta be. They gotta be. They gotta have a weapon. They gotta be. There's gotta be a distinct line on this is the authority. Not this is. Then I'm. They're an authority over me. But I want. I want officers that are people. People, right? I don't know if better to say that. Care about kids. Want to fist bump. Maybe want to coach a little bit. My SRO growing up, his name was Petey Gilbert. I was the high school uh, office line coach. Against a this was a black officer in a predominantly white city, or no. Well, Holler, whatever you want to call it. Millsburg, Kentucky, Pineville, Kentucky. Black officer in mostly white school. This was never a problem. And some of that's historical going back into working in coal mines and how the how race, you know, kind of worked in coal mines and how you had to, they would put blacks and whites next to each other in a deep mine. They wouldn't let them talk, but you still had to trust the guy because you'll die if you're not working together and supporting the beams the right way and the mind collapses. So it's like certainly racism going on down in those areas, certainly. But the the community dynamic is different than it is in like an urban area. That's what I'm trying to say. So, you know, Brewster was, uh, she was okay with the SSOs that aren't armed instead of the SROs. Carol was fine with metal detectors, but not with officers in the buildings. And specifically said that she wanted people not armed, not in uniform, to police the metal detectors what if they find a gun or a knife or a drug i mean what you want the pta 
soccer mom president to be guarding the uh, metal detectors and when they find the gun be the one apprehending the, the person with the gun and taking the gun away when they have no experience with the weapon that's asinine you haven't thought that through she referred she referred to how black kids feel threatened by the uniform and again i'm gonna tell i'm gonna try to be honest when i can be actually i'm gonna be honest always i'm gonna try to be more direct and transparent about things when I think that gives me an opportunity to maybe speak to the, like in this instance, I'm talking, I'm trying to talk to the communities that aren't minority uh, centered or aren't predominantly minority about maybe a blind spot they have. And I absolutely understand that minorities, specifically like little black boys feel threatened by police officers uniform. It is what it is. So we, like, you know, we have to. Res- we need to respect that, and that's why I'm so adamant about let's get certain people in here to be SROs. I don't want fresh people out of the academy wearing bulletproof vest and like black Oakleys and black boots, and that's not what I want in here. The goal isn't arrest. When you're a cop, you want to get arrested. You want to arrest people. That's how you get promoted and stuff. We want the opposite of that. The goal of a SRO should be it should be to make community relations so good that where the school you're you're in has zero arrests occur. But we have to be empathetic here, and you know, you, again, you can't know what you don't know. I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been best friends with black kids and stay, spent the night in their house. And actually, my best friends when we were really young, a white guy got beat up by a couple black brothers in the mall and the KKK come to town. Well, I was at my buddy's house and the, K- and the Ku Klux Klan's coming through the town and marching through. And in that moment, his mother was terrified and was and made us get in the closet and was pretty clear that, hey, listen, you're at a black person's house. You are, you are under a... Like... Things aren't safe for you either, even though you're white. Maybe even less safe. Because you're a traitor or whatever. It's basically what she was trying to say. That's, what the, that's, how, they'll, that's how they'll see you. But I, you know, I got to see it in my friend's eyes. And like, I couldn't feel it. I know I, can't, I couldn't feel what he felt. But I know what I felt for him in that moment. And it was nothing but like, I'm sorry. That's all I felt. You know, and I've been on a ride along before and pulled people over like crazy and was all was think at times was thinking like you know, I didn't know we could stop people like that or we couldn't do this. Every time we pulled them over, they had they had there was there was a warrant or something out. You know, but like I don't necessarily know I mean like at that at that time that was I don't know that, you know I've if I was walking in to be a cop that day I probably wouldn't have stopped them. But again, like, I'm not a police officer, so I don't know what the day-to-day looks like and what they're looking out for and all that. But I get it. I get why blacks are nervous around cops and also get why cops are probably nervous in those same situations because they're not, you know, that's not where they're from either. Porsche's violence is all over the city. They are coming to school with all kinds of issues, but we do not need armed officers in the buildings. Like, I disagree with that statement, but... uh she did. I, I did feel like she made a sincere appeal to the community, saying students should not have access to guns to bring to school. She asked for help from the community, but she did not. She did not seem to be alluding 
to, in my opinion, to like gun control or gun seizure or anything like that. You know, like I want to give her credit for that. Um, looking to see some of this other stuff that maybe I thought we needed to talk about. You know, Hamla Brewster brought up just parent responsibility and student accountability. How we're having a huge behavioral issue across the country. Our kids are under psychological oppression with you know, TV programming and all that. There's a question the crowd says, how would you support principals? Because principals are important. And then right after that, and that was... Uh, Within that, Miss Brewster brought up that she thinks, basically, basically, say that she thinks JCPS needs to be broken down so that all four or all seven districts could have their own superintendent. There's no way of giving them all their own superintendent with and keeping JCPS together. But I, I'm starting to think that's the only way forward is to, is to dismantle JCPS. But I thought this question was interesting because it came it came from another African American in the. African American in the community, or I'm sorry, in the in the crowd. I'm trying to. I want to make sure I say this in the in an empathetic way and in a way to where it seems like I'm inviting feedback on this. But I, I thought it was. I just thought it was interesting how supportive throughout this debate, the community and all you know. You know, you know, most of the candidates or whatever else said, like, I, I, I'm not even just saying I disagree necessarily with what was what I'm about to say. I, but I thought it was very interesting in this community where it's like, it's predominantly black, predominantly minority, definitely predominantly mi minority. But how supportive they were of, quote unquote, like the man, teachers, administrators, superintendents, principals. It was like they were protecting them at all cost. I heard, I heard, other than things came out of Charlie's mouth about parental choice and everything. I heard no one, none of the candidates, none of the other ones talk about parents whatsoever. I honestly very seldom, seldom, seldomly heard them talk about students. It was just more about teacher pay, teacher retention, teacher lessening teacher workload. Supporting principals, getting the resources to principals, um, increasing support staff, more money in the buildings, more money into infrastructure. It just feels like people in that in the in that community is like they're convinced these people have their the kid their kids' best interest at heart. And I feel like they're, it seems like they're convinced they look like them. But I, I got other, I got another, I got some other crazy stats here. It's like, I, again, I, I, it, just, it felt like they feel like, like attacking a teacher or attacking a principal or it was attacking their community. It's not, it's, that's not the case. In elementary schools in Jefferson County, 20, there's 2,500 teachers. 2,200 of them are white. 300 of them are black. In middle schools, 1,200 teachers, 1,000 of them are white. In high schools, there's 1,675 teachers, 
1,500 of them are white. So these teachers, these administrators, these principals, these superintendents, they're, they're not from your community. And they may say all the right things. It's not translating into results and the betterment of your community. It's just not. These are the people that has continued to lead JCPS down the, down the path that it's into the mess it's in. They're the ones that shut schools down when COVID hit that left single moms stranded, nowhere to send their kids so they could go to work. They're the ones that said, yeah, we, we know COVID. We know COVID only has, has only killed like 10 kids, but the risk is too great to others that we're willing to put your community's kids on the streets around drugs, violence, crime, gangs, with no internet access, no direction to click, complete their homework. They're the ones that did that. And then when they brought them back to school, they're the ones that said, you know, all, we don't control all the private schools. So all the private schools that are like 80% white students, they, they can choose if they want masks or not. But we're going to, we're choosing to make learning, the learning environment even harder for the kids that can, that can afford it the least. Again, 19% of African Americans are at grade level math in JCPS. 29% of African Americans are at grade, grade level reading in JCPS. We know they're, they are suspending more black boys than any other segment of the student cohort. We're going to put masks on their faces, making it harder for them to read. Hard for them to learn how to say letters and words and enunciate and all that stuff because you can't see mouths. I forget what they call that. Whenever you like, when you're learning how to, when you're really young and you're learning where your tongue, where your tongue touches your teeth when you say an L or whatever. We're gonna make it harder for them, and again, make that gap bigger. If there's this, if there's this gap, this educational gap, what do they call them? Like it's like a. I'll come gap whatever if there's that if that if that exists let's make it even wider because you know COVID we got to right um let's put masks on the faces of the little black boys that are already suspended more than anyone else all right let's put masks on their faces so that so that I'm trying to find the numbers again so that in, so in middle school. It's like 80% of teachers are white. Let's, let's put masks over the smiles of the young kids that 80% of the teachers can't really relate with anyways. And are probably, you know, like we talk about how people are intrinsically like biased on, on, on people or whatever. Like they're nervous anyways. Those The, the white women that are teaching they say they're not. That's fine, but the data says otherwise. Why? Why? Well, you're suspending them at high rates. 
Let's put mask on them and make communi- make and let's make that communication even harder. That doesn't make any sense, and it doesn't sound to me like anybody was ha- was was acting with any kind of empathy towards the actual children that were in those buildings. So, Mrs. Clark, Mrs. Porter, my question for you is, why do you continue to believe in the system that isn't working? And I think I know why. It's because, listen, you're invested in it, and I get that. You went to school when schools were segregated, and these are the same people that integrated the schools. It's this, it's that same system. It's that same like, so I get it. But we don't live then. We don't live in the seventies. I personally think it's time for new leadership. I don't think it's possible to look forward and reimagine schooling if you were white and experienced segregated schools, or if you were black and experienced segregated schools. I just don't. Because that would be such a traumatic experience and such a like imprint in your brain. I don't know how you'd ever get it out. It's time for new leadership. So, again, Charlie Bell is the one to vote for. I think she gets it, I think she listens. I think she's got good ideas. I think she's walked the walk, talked the talk. You know, like she's from, she's, the stuff she's implemented was in Akron, Ohio. Akron, Ohio, from what I understand, it's pretty, you know, we can, it's pretty relatable. It's Louisville, Kentucky. She's implemented policies. She's got the, you know, she doesn't have the big fancy college degrees. I mean, I think this world needs more of that. I think this world needs more people that ain't trying to scream, well, I got this degree or whatever. People are just like, I got street cred and I know, I know what people are saying and doing and thinking and how to fix it. So again, I thought this was one of the most eye-opening and most important like forums that we that we'd had, and I can't believe I didn't even know it had occurred. I think that the uh outcomes of it and the points of view that were brought to light, the topics, the discussion, and the explanations created a stark distinction between at least put two of the candidates in one camp and two of the candidates in another camp. So I encourage all you to go back and go just go to the Courier Journal's YouTube page and watch all these, listen to them, be a loser and take all these notes like I do. Give them a chance and tonight they will be they'll be at the Van Hoos building. There's a another candidate formed tonight they're doing all four of them tonight uh, all four districts an hour each and you want to ask them some more questions so I encourage you to go to go check that out and encourage them and get you a sign and all that good stuff if you can to support the candidate in this instance it's Charlie Bell vote for her district one we'll be doing I'll be doing other recaps of our other candidates Greg Puchetti and Steve Ullum's um, last forums and hope and hopefully the ones for tonight as well. Again, thanks for listening and hopefully, Dr. Corey Show. Hopefully you've li- you you listen to this one as well. And I look forward to your feedback and hearing where I'm missing the mark and where I'm you know, not understanding certain things. So 
Look forward to the dialogue. The rest of y'all, y'all have a great evening. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk again soon.